chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. All right. Good morning again. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to be able to, to be here and share about Ireland this morning, but also to open up God's Word together as well. So I uh, just want to comment as well on the church. Last time we were with you, a bit over two years ago, you weren't in here yet, and it's just beautiful to see what... Um, God has made here and uh, for you guys that have contributed and with your hands and your money and everything to make this beautiful place here well done it's, it's, it's a lovely place and it's our prayer that God will fill this place with people from the local community and that God will continue to strengthen you and use this place as a wonderful place to do ministry from as I know that you are already doing so let's just pray as we open up um, God's word in Philippians we want it to not just be something of history we want it to be real for us today so let's pray Lord God, we want to thank you for our Bibles that we have. We want to thank you that it's your words, it's you speaking to us. And Lord, as we look at what the Apostle Paul said to a church in Philippi nearly 2,000 years ago, words of encouragement and words of instruction to a church, probably not too different to us, in a whole mix of people, Christians from different backgrounds and from different places at different levels of maturity. He instructs them as one of how they are to be a church. And so, Lord, I, it's my prayer that this morning you will make that happen here in Southside, that together we are shaped by your word. And so there's going to be things that we need to realise and understand about ourselves this morning, and we trust in you to be at work by your word and your spirit. And there's also things that we're going to have to change, things we'll have to throw off and things to take on board in our attitudes and our thoughts. And so, Lord, I ask that you will do that. Make it a real change within us today, Lord. Give us the care factor to listen, the care factor to change, to want to hear you speak to us. Thank you that your word is, uh, is so powerful and perfect and that we can trust it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. That's a little bit blurry. I'll read it for you. It's a bride. And she's saying to her mother, there is no groom. I don't want a husband, I just want a wedding. And how much easier marriage would be if we didn't have to worry about the other. For any of you that are married, you know it takes a good bit of hard work. It takes effort. You need to give yourself completely to it. 
But this, just like the thinking of this bride, it's easy for us to think about church like that as well. I want the event, I want to be part of this in some way. But what about the hard work? What about fully giving myself into this? To be fully involved. Now with marriage, it takes hard work. And with church, it takes hard work. The Bible says of marriage to be as one. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, as a church, you are to be as one. But if it's so hard sometimes to be just two people in marriage, to feel like you are being one in mind, in spirit, in love, in purpose, is it even possible for all of us to be one? Or is it just that church is to be about just sort of hang in there, make sure the church keeps ticking along? Is, it that, is that the picture of church? No, the picture of church that Paul has here, as he instructs his church in Philippi, is one of strong unity and strong purpose. I want you to just read with me chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. As a picture of strong purpose, as they stand together as one. There is a purpose in them being together. I don't know if any of you watched the, uh, the rugby union test match between Ireland and Australia. It was just on about two months ago. I don't know if you watched any of those. Ireland happened to win. I won't tell you who I was going for. We know who Kean's going for. Now, the game of rugby, I've come to appreciate it. I'm from Melbourne and it was all AFL and cricket. I moved to Ireland and I was sort of thrust in the deep end saying, do you want to help coach rugby? I didn't know a thing about rugby. But now after eight seasons of coaching kids, I know a little bit. What I do know about rugby is that it works in lines. You have a defensive line and they are shoulder to shoulder. And together you hold the line and together you advance with a purpose to get that ball ball over the line to score the try. So if you watched the rugby, you would have seen Ireland standing there singing their anthem before the test match. Now, they play as a united team of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So they had to make another anthem because both, both are separate countries with separate anthems. This is the anthem that they sing. Ireland, Ireland, together standing tall, shoulder to shoulder will answer Ireland's call. And it's that picture of shoulder to shoulder as a church, standing as one, moving as one, defending and advancing with purpose, is the picture of rugby. And I think that is exactly what Paul is talking about as he talks about the purpose of church. We aren't just together as a mishmash of people for no purpose. We have a wonderful purpose given to us. But is that possible? I look around here and we have different ages, we have different cultures, 
And I can assume that many of you are from different church backgrounds or religious backgrounds. You all have different preferences, I'm sure, when it comes to music, when it comes to style, when it comes to clothing. We're all different, aren't we? How can we make it work? Being a church that doesn't just come together for the event of church on a Sunday, but something that is a true unit together that achieves what God wants it to achieve. There's two things we're going to look at this morning. The first one is that we need to be like-minded. The second one is that we need to be lowly-minded. So if you want to turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to the church, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Or other translations say purpose there. I want to ask you a question. Does being a Christian make any difference in your life? Does being a Christian make any difference in your life? How would you answer that question? I think in trying to engage the world who don't know Christ yet with the gospel, it's always important to have the information and to say it is the truth, because that's exactly what it is. But if we want to engage with the world today, people have one really obvious question. Does it work? What difference does it make? Sure, you say you're a Christian and you go to church, and I might hear you say you go to Bible study as well during the week, but what difference does it make? If you don't know how to answer that, there's some homework for you. Paul wants to ask this question. He wants to bring to the mind of the church in Philippi by saying this word, if. If you have these experiences of being united with Christ, then you can make his joy complete by being one. What are these things? These words he gives are words of acceptance. They are words of experience. So if you are a Christian here, this morning. You should be able to take that word if and substitute in the word since. Let's try that. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, which simply means in relationship with him because of who he is and what he's done for you. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, sorry, not if, we're saying since you have comfort from his love, since you have common sharing in the spirit, since you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. If you are in union, in a relationship with Jesus, these are the experiences that you should know. Since you have been given them, then you have all the vital ingredients to be one together. He wants to pile up the reasons that come to help us think about the sense that it is possible to be as one, to be like-minded. And you know what the gospel does? It is the great leveller. What the gospel does is show that no matter who you are in all the world, 
no matter what your gender, no matter what your culture or race, no matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are, no matter how honoured you are by the world or how ashamed you are. It doesn't matter. What the Bible says is before you come to know Jesus, all your best efforts of being good, all your best efforts of being religious are but filthy rags before God. The only reason any of us have any worth is because of that which has been given to us as we've come to know Jesus. And it makes us all the same. None of us who are Christians can say that I am more spiritual, I am more holy, I am more important or significant. It's nonsense. It's the great leveller. None of us have deserved that mercy and grace from God that he extended through Jesus. But as we become in relationship with Jesus, we become one with each other and we are all the same. All the same value. So therefore, we can be like-minded. Our experiences of becoming a Christian, our experiences that come to us daily of being in this relationship with Jesus are the same. Our challenge then is to find that experience. How do we find that encouragement and that fellowship and that tenderness and love and compassion? Seek it in Jesus. Pray to him. It's a dynamic relationship that we've been called into with him. Read your Bibles with expectation that God will provide to you day by day these vital things that you need, not just for your own individual life, but for life together. So if we are all of the same value, why do we find ourselves so tempted and why do we find ourselves doing it that we compare ourselves with others? That we compete with one another? Why do we do it? And we do. I know I do. I find myself all the time setting myself up in comparison with others. And usually I'll choose somebody who is weaker in one area than me. And I'll do it to make myself feel good. So I feel better about myself and think, well, I'm not doing too bad because I've set myself up in comparison about someone else where I can easily say, oh, well, and I like to look down on other people's situations. Maybe you're like that too. It's an ugly thing. Why do we do it? This is Hagar the Horrible. Hagar's wife says, Hagar, you make me a better person. By the example I said? No, just by comparison. And that's the reason that we do it. Because we want to feel better about ourselves. Just look at verse 3 with me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is putting yourself forward in your plans and your desires. You want to come to the front of the pack and be noticed. Pick me, pick me. Can you see what I've done? Can you see what I'm good at? Please accept me. Please like me. Or we want to get to the top of the ladder so that people could say, wow, what a great guy. 
This is word vain conceit as well. It's about self and it's about pride. Another way of translating that is my image. Where we become too obsessed with our own image. What do people think of me? What do they see when they see me? And we become too obsessed with wanting to present ourselves a certain way. We live in the selfie age where people love to present themselves in picture in a certain way. But we also do that in relationships too. But what drives that? We want that acceptance from people. But what's at the center of that is our pride, that vain conceit. So Paul says, do nothing from that place. That whole attitude which I struggle with, and I'm sure you do as well, is something we have to seriously address in this passage. Do nothing in your life, in your choices, in your relationships. Do nothing from that place. We've got to get rid of that. I wonder if you've heard of the famous boxer Muhammad Ali. Of course you have. He was once on a plane and the captain came on the intercom. Boom! This is your captain speaking. We're about to go through some severe turbulence. Can all passengers please return to their seat, put it in the upright position and fasten your seatbelts? Thank you. And so then the cabin crew went through the plane to check that everybody had heard and obeyed what the captain had commanded. One air hostess came across Muhammad Ali. Seat back, as casual as you like, his seatbelt clearly unfastened by his side. Mr. Ali, I must insist that you please fasten your seatbelt. And he just said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she was very quick to respond, Yes, but Superman don't need no plane either. <laughs> Pride can make us fools. Pride can make us fools. We need to recognize it and we need to deal with it. And I think that's what Paul wants to do with the church in Philippi. And I think it's what he wants to do with us as well. One of my favorite cartoons is Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin has a little box, a little stall, a swift kick in the butt, one dollar. How's business? Terrible. That's hard to believe. I can't understand it. Everybody I know needs what I'm selling. And maybe we can take this challenge on pride as one of those necessary swift kicks up the butt this morning. Pay attention to one of the critical problems, one of the critical hindrances of unity in the church. Instead, we need to get ourselves out of the way. Once you move yourself out of the way, we start to see what needs to be done and see who else is there. And so the rest of that challenge in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Who knows who was the first man to climb Mount Everest? Anybody? Sir Edmund Hillary, well done. 
a New Zealander by the name of Sir Edmund Hillary. And you know, some years later, he was in the Himalayas. And there was a group of young climbers. And one of them said to his mate, I think that might be Sir Edmund Hillary over there. What do you reckon? He goes, yeah, mate, I think you might be right. Let's go ask him. And so they went up to him and said, excuse me, are you Edmund Hillary? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am. Oh, wow, cool, this is so good. Can we get a photo with you, please? Sure, no problem, he says. And so they're about to take, set up these guys standing with Sir Edmund Hillary in front, about to get a photo. One of the guys in the group says, hang on a minute, I'm just going to get my ice pick. He gets the ice pick and just sort of throws it into the hands of Sir Edmund Hillary. Okay, all ready now for the photo. But then some random guy walks through and he goes, hang on a minute, mate. That's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you. And so he gets Sir Edmund Hillary's hands and wraps it finger by finger around the ice pick. And he goes, there you go, mate. That's how you hold an ice pick. And off he walks, unbeknownst to whom he was just speaking to. What struck these young climbers was that Sir Edmund Hillary said nothing. He could have said, <clears throat> excuse me, mate, do you know who you're talking to? Don't you dare patronise me! I am Sir Edmund Hillary. You see that big, massive mountain up there? I was the first one to climb that, buddy. I think I would know how to hold an ice pick. But he said nothing. And that struck these young guys. Because you see, for Sir Edmund Hillary, he didn't need to prove anything as a climber. What did it matter that this young punk didn't recognise who he was? Who cares? It doesn't change the fact that he was the first man to climb that mountain. It doesn't change anything about his value or worth as a climber. And you know, that's exactly the same for us as Christians. All our value and worth that we will ever, ever have has already been done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Saviour. That act of what he has done and then calling you into that relationship with him is the highest possible value you will ever have. Not one thing you will ever do in the rest of your life will make you of any greater value or worth. Not one thing. And so, when we try to clamour at each other for attention, when we try to get people to look at us and acknowledge us and recognise what we can do and the great things that we've done, we're really missing the point. Because we're seeking man's empty praise from each other. We're looking for this acceptance and this value that we can't give each other. Instead, back to verse 1, we find that in Jesus, in that relationship. So, when we keep comparing, we're trying to find from each other the very thing that we can only get from Jesus. Again, it brings us back to the vitality of keeping that relationship fresh. Keep praying, keep reading your Bible, and do what it takes to make that a real thing and a dynamic, fresh thing for you. 
because that's how you will receive as a church the things that keep you fed and keep you united. So if we get ourselves out of the way by finding that we don't need to get all of these praise from each other, our acceptance and recognition from each other, we get it from Jesus, then we can start to look at true humility. Now often when we compare, when we compete with people, we're sort of looking down our noses at them. That's our posture, trying to make ourselves as tall as we can to look down on others. And any photographer will tell you, when you change your angle, the lighting completely changes. When you look at somebody down from that angle, you see them one way. If you look at them from another angle, all of a sudden, the picture's very different. There's a different light. And that's what we are told to do, is to lower ourselves and change the way that we look at one another. Because every church has people that are difficult. And maybe you are the one in this church who is difficult. But we all can be difficult at times. But we need to change the way that we look at things. And our ultimate example is Jesus, our Saviour. And so, verse 5 says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And so what does it say about Jesus? It says he was in very nature God. He started at the very highest place, equality with God. And yet out of obedience to God, because he had this same love, because he had this same purpose and heart and spirit with him, his obedience, in that obedience, he considered it nothing to lower himself to being a human being, to shed himself of that power, of that glory, to become a human being. And not just any human being, he was willing to lower himself to become a servant of all. And not just a servant, one who would die for others. And not just any death, but the most cruel and humiliating death. Death on a cross. Why did he do it? Our Bible tells us he did it willingly. Why? Because he shared this one love, spirit, passion, purpose, view on things that God the Father had. And obedience looked like that for him. Obedience for us is going to look different from Jesus. We're not called to be saviors of the world. But we are called to emulate his humility. And that for us is about getting ourselves out of the way, looking at the interests of others. Other translations, the earlier version of the NIV says, consider others better than yourselves. And that's the way when we change our position, our angle of looking at people, we might find that the things that really pressed our buttons and annoyed us might be different when we start to look at people from another way. And everything that we need to keep dealing with difficult things in life together will come to us from Jesus. Now, I started by talking about marriage. Now, marriage is hard work. Marriage can be difficult. But in my view, there is nothing more beautiful, no more perfect picture of unity in relationship than marriage. The Bible says marriage, Christian marriage, will work and can work. Even though you get sinner groom and sinner bride together committing to love and live with one another 
fulfilling their vows for the rest of their lives. The Bible says why it can work and why it should work. It says if you come in humility, if you submit to one another and you honour your spouse and look to Jesus at the, as the very centre of that relationship, then he will help you. He will give you all you need through all the ups and downs of married life. He will give you what you need to be one. Not to stick in together, but a deepness of relationship, a deepness of understanding and identity together to be able to live life fruitfully. And it's exactly the same for the church. If we think of it like marriage, if we come in humility to our church family, if we come willing to submit to one another, if we come willing to honour one another, and see that Jesus is the very head of our being together, then he is the one we look to for our help. He is the one that will make it possible amongst a whole room of sinners. He will give us, day by day, all that we need to be united together. Now, verses 9 to 11 of chapter 2 finish by saying, Jesus didn't just stay dead. He rose again and is now seated on high. The name above all names has been given to him. That he is Lord over everything. Everything. Including Southside Presbyterian Church. Ross is not the boss. Jesus is the boss of this church. He is the one we all need to look to. To find that we can be like-minded because we recognize that we have been served and blessed by Jesus. We're all the same. None of us more significant. We find all that we need in our identity and our acceptance from Jesus. And then our obedience looks like serving one another, modeling the humility that Jesus showed to us. He is the head. We can look to him. We can trust him. He will give us everything that we need. Keep your eyes on Jesus as we be like-minded and lowly-minded. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you that your word challenges us. But as we think through now, Lord, the things that have been shared and opened to us from your word, we look to you to be activating this within us. Give us the courage to change. Give us the eyes to see Jesus and how great the things that he provides us with, these wonderful experiences day by day, this wonderful understanding of who we are in him that helps us personally and helps us together to be one. So Lord, I pray for this church that you will make them very much united around the gospel of Jesus, looking to him as their sole help. May you give them a like-mindedness. May they be one in spirit, in mind, in love and in purpose for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.